you are listening to Single Sirs. My name is Arno Martire, and I am your host. Single Serve is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio. Stuart Lewis is a marketing and communication strategy expert who leads Clever Samurai, a Toronto-based marketing consultancy. His agency works in healthcare, technology, manufacturing, utilities, distribution, and logistics. Employer branding, talent attraction, and retention programs have been central to the agency's work, developing successful campaigns for a range of corporate clients and industry sectors. So the topic for today is talent attraction, one of Clever Samurai's specialties. So thank you very much, Stuart, for being on the show and uh, taking the time to do this. You're very welcome, Arno, and nice to see you. So can you start by telling us who you are and what you do in your own words in three sentences or less? Well, as you said, uh, my name is Stuart Lewis, and I am the president of Clever Samurai, uh, and we are a marketing communications consultancy. And as it relates to what we're chatting about today, we're talking about employer branding, talent attraction, and retention. And our organization, uh, of which I'm very fortunate to uh, to lead, does a lot of that work for various uh, clients in uh, different sectors. So why is talent attraction important? Um, and one of the reasons I want to ask that question is, in my industry, architecture and design, it's a seller's market. There's uh, more jobs than there are people to fill them. Um, so why is that important? And uh, tell us more about that. Well, it's interesting that you say uh, the term seller's market, because one of the things that we talk about is how job seekers are actually shopping for jobs. So they're buyers. And the architecture segment is, frankly, very similar to many other segments where there's uh, talent shortfalls. So why is it important? Well, I think there's, there's two things. First of all, if you don't have the talent, how do you get the work done? That's just a fundamental basic principle of you know many businesses that are short of talent. And then second of all, you want the best talent. If you think about architects, not all architects, just like any other profession, are created equal. You want the best people to work for your company or your uh, organization working on whatever projects they're doing. And so the best people come in all kinds of shapes and forms, um, and you want to make sure they have a chance to, uh, to choose your organization. So if you think about an architecture firm as an example, what they do is they do things with ideas and then they use all kinds of you know um, technology and engineering thinking to make those ideas come to life and that's a complex complex uh, uh, work and so if you don't have people who are capable of doing that work then how are you going to fulfill the projects that uh, your firm's been uh, hired to do you can't do it mm-hmm. so what would be the three things that a company needs to consider when developing a talent attraction strategy Yeah, I I would actually say probably four things. So the first is, you know, what's the objective? Like, what are we trying to do? So if you're an architecture firm, as an example, are you trying to hire an architect? Are you trying to deal with succession planning? Are you trying to deal with um, being able to support um, uh, additional work that's coming in? Are you trying to deal with, you know, mergers or acquisitions? Like, what are you trying to do? So at the highest level, business objectives 
drive everything. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the talent you'll bring in will be a function of what your business objectives are for today, you know, and in the near term and also in the long term. And so you know, lots of times, you know, people are backfilling or scrambling at what they need to do for this week. And, you know, that's as much as that's, that's something that obviously is important to do. You know, companies need to really think about what they need to do for next year, the next five years, et cetera. And it's no surprise that so many industries are shortfall of talent. We've got an aging population. And, you know, the Canadian government is trying to, you know, backfill some of that, you know, around immigration policies and the like. But there's just deficiencies in so many um, uh, workforces in terms of just never mind capable people, just enough people. And Mm -hmm. so if you're a company that is trying to, you know, get ahead and there's just not a short, there's just not enough workers to do to do what they need to do, then the second part of all of this is what's the story you want to put out? So in our world, we refer to it as an employer value proposition. What are we selling? So give you an example. One of our uh, clients is in the healthcare space. There's no question that there's a shortfall of nurses. Everybody knows that. So making more nurses is not uh, an option that's going to happen overnight. So what that means is that nurses have to come from one organization to their organization. You don't have to convince someone to be a nurse. You have to convince somebody to be a nurse with our client. Mm-hmm. So that employer value proposition becomes very, very important. And as much as you know, compensation is an important factor in all of this, one of the things that's becoming increasingly more important is lifestyle. I think the pandemic has sped some of that up. But you look at how millennials view work versus, say, my father's generation or whatever, it's quite different. And my mm-hmm. father worked for the same company for over 40 years. And you know, who works for companies for more than 40 years anymore? It's not often. So You're lucky if they stay four years. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. So, so, so I know with that employer value proposition, not only do you want to attract them, but to your point, when you say they're lucky to be there for four years is how do you make that EVP really come to life? So the reasons that they join are the reasons that they stay. So that'd be the second thing. The third thing is about creative. So let's look at, let's talk about architects. I mean, they are technical in nature for sure, but they're also creative. I mean, no one wants to make ugly things. And so, um, obviously, there's the limits of budget and time and you know technical parameters, but everybody wants to try and find a creative way to you know solve whatever problem they're trying to solve. So if you're putting out some sort of a campaign that has the employer value proposition, that's what that architecture firm wants, but you do it in a way that's not appealing to architects, well, who's going to apply? Nobody. They're not going to do it. So if you're doing something that's interesting, then you're going to get their attention. And I think the fourth thing is the channels. So, for example, you know, your, your podcast that we're, we're talking on today, um, it's a channel that architects and others that are tangentially related to the space are listening to. Mm-hmm. And so um, because of that, it's a way to reach that particular audience. There's many ways to reach that audience, but your channel and, and, and your, your show is, is, is part of you know, what could easily be part of a mix to be able to reach people in, in a new way. So... It's interesting when I look at Indeed, and I don't, I don't know if, you, if, you, if you've done this, but what would you guess are the number of uh, architecture-related uh, jobs that are just up for post on Indeed right now today in Toronto area alone? What would you guess be? 500? Over 3,000. Wow. I knew there were a lot of postings, but I didn't know it was that many. That's, that's probably as many as there are firms in the city. It's insane. Yeah. So you got a retirement boom happening. Mm-hmm. So what that happens is that you have experience leaving, you have a talent vacuum. And so, you know, you asked at the beginning, you know, why is it important? Well, it's important because these firms are not going to be able to support 
Um, and I'm not talking about firms that necessarily, you know, third party, it could be in-house architects, like whatever, right? Different, different, different scenarios for these jobs or technologists and all the sort of, you know, related fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have the people to do the work, then how does the work get done? So what ends up happening is that in some cases you end up having to settle for talent that may be not as good because having talent that may be not as good is better than having no talent on your team at all. So, yeah. And I can't tell you how many firms I've seen uh, scramble to hire because they needed the bodies in the chairs to do the work. And then six months later, they let people go because they're just not the right fit. So that's, there's also a huge waste of time because you try to, to fill the, those spaces with bodies but they're they're not working out, and so you're wasting a lot of time. You have to rehire shortly after, and that costs a lot of money too. Yeah, there's a there's an old adage that's uh, slow to hire, uh, uh, quick to fire. Yeah, fire and fast, hire slow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but these days, who can hire slow? So, you know, from a strategy perspective, you're really thinking about how do you bake that employer value proposition in a way where you're like a magnet and you're attracting the kind of candidates that you want whoever they may be, whatever that profile might look like mm-hmm. uh, or for, for the business that you're running. Um, but it's not, I'm switching on the switch today. It's the switch is always on because you're always interviewing, you're always looking and you're always trying to make sure that, you know, whatever is your overall business strategy, your overall plan, you've got people potentially coming all the time at the ready to, to make that happen. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's not to say that it's not the only way to do it, but I have had friends who are firm principals who have, started an Instagram account solely for hiring purposes because they know that the kids they want to hire are on there and sure. and that they're going to look at the firm for months, years before they send a resume. And so if they have a good image of what the firm's about over time, it helps them hire the right talent at the right time. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, it's interesting what your, your uh, friends are doing because they recognize that people are doing all kinds of online research. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, there was a time, again, my father's generation, he was just happy to have a job. But now, you know, people are, as we talked about earlier, they're looking around and they're making decisions that align with their values or their lifestyle or whatever it all is. And there's so much information available that's at the fingertips, you know, at the end of a computer. So, you know, how companies are managing their brand and how they manage their brand online makes a huge difference. So which company would you rather go to? One that's engaged in its brand and doing the things that align with your values or one that you haven't heard anything about? Yeah, well, we both know the answer to that. So it sounds like, uh, uh, what was it you called an employee value proposition and a talent retention strategy is almost to be treated like a marketing strategy where you want to find the right talent that's the right fit for your company. And so you have to go where they are the same way if I were to help a client promote their latest project, I have to try and get it published wherever the potential clients are. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I wish more people understood that. So one of the things that we talk about is this thing that, you know, oftentimes people are doing is what we call it post and pray. I'm just going to post a job and pray something's going to happen. And here it is. Well, post and pray. I mean, I'm not saying it can't work, but think about the example we used earlier, 3000 some odd jobs for architects or technologists and, and, and the like on Indeed. Good luck uh, trying to find your job, you know, at the top of the heap and somebody, you know, picking your job because they like your job better than whatever it is they're waiting through. You could have the best opportunity in the world, but if it's buried, how, how are you going to find it? So um, it's as much as it's true that, you know, candidates do go to job boards, candidates do all kinds of other things in their lives that have nothing to do with job boards. And so you're absolutely right. If you're marketing, whatever that is, a product, a service, um, you know, you want to go where your customer is. 
and the customer that you might be looking for, in this case, is a job seeker, is important. Here's the other thing I think is important. 73% of job seekers are actually passive. They're not actively looking. But if they saw something that was interesting to them, away they go. Mm-hmm. So they'll start looking around and how do you build a relationship with somebody, maybe early stage looking, but you've got their attention and then away they go. So, you know, the principles around consumer marketing, because obviously this is a consumer thing. It's, you know, marketing to a consumer who is a, an individual looking for a job. I mean, these principles apply, you know, I'm not saying universally, but certainly materially. Yeah. And so uh, I guess it would be different for every company, but what are some of the things you can point out to, for firms to start doing to stand out? Because you said, you know, you go on Indeed and there's 3,000 other jobs you're competing against. Not only you're looking for the right talent, but there's 3,000 or let's say even half of that, 1,500 people that are looking for the same talent. Um, How does one stand out? Like what what are some of the foundational principles of a job fulfillment strategy that someone could look at and say, this is what I need to do to stand out and find the right talent. Because, and again, it's very timely. We're talking about this because everyone I know, maybe 90% of the firm principles that I know that I interact with every day, they're all looking to hire right now, all of them. And they're all struggling. So I think this is an extremely important question to answer because everybody has the same issue. So I, there's a lot to unpack in that, but I'll, I'll maybe comment on two things that are probably sort of pillars around all this. Mm-hmm. The first one is, what are we selling? So everybody who's an architect is already an architect. You don't have to convince them to be an architect. Mm-hmm. So you look at all these job postings and, say, and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. Yeah, I already know what that is. I'm an architect. I know what that is. You don't have to convince somebody to be an architect. You have to convince somebody to be an architect with you. Mm-hmm. So what is it about you and your company that's better, smarter, different, faster, stronger, whatever it is, that's going to appeal to that candidate? And I'm not talking about foosball tables and beer taps. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying those things. I mean, they're cool and all. But at the end of the day, people that are top quality talent, it's not they don't enjoy things like that. But what they want to do is they want to do real work. They want to do something that's meaningful. If you think about an architect, how many years did they go to school? How much money did they spend to do that? When did they start even thinking about it? They're probably playing with all kinds of toys and various things that had them interested when they were a child. So, you know, you don't just fall into it as a job, likely. It's something that is a passion that you love. So if you are trying to attract people to come to your place of work, what kind of work are you offering them? And I don't mean how many hours. I mean, what kind of projects can they do? Can they do cool stuff? So here's an example. It's not about talent attraction, but it's kind of sort of the same kind of idea. Um, One of our clients... Um, and they're, they've been subsumed a couple of times over through acquisitions and the, and this, the acquisition, the clients that acquired them is still a client of ours to this day. So we're really, really fortunate that, uh, that, uh, you know, they, they continue to trust us through, through these, these years. But the genesis of it was a company called Isonine. It's a spray foam company. Mm-hmm. And when you have spray foam, there's all kinds of benefits of spray foam. But one of the benefits from an architectural perspective and it goes beyond, you know, just the sort of the technical properties is that spray foam can go around curves. Well, the number one competitor of spray foam is rigid board. Rigid board doesn't go around curves. Mm-hmm. So if you're an architect and you want to make a building that's got curves on it and you want to make sure it's up to code and all the different Properly things. insulated, yeah. You got it. You spray foam. Now, what we wanted to do at the time was to have architects spec our guy's project. Well, the first thing it starts with is spec spray foam. And then maybe they spec our guy's stuff. 
but at least spec spray foam. And then our guys will, you know, get whatever, whatever share they have. So one of the insights that, that we had was that not exactly groundbreaking here, but architects are proud of their work. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we targeted a whole bunch of firms in the U S and we, um, found a marquee project that had curves on it that they were proud of, mm-hmm. took that uh, project, had it sketched, put on a t-shirt, sent it to the firm's principal with in a beautiful tin with a letter and saying, we're calling you. We want to talk to you about the lunch and learns were off the hook. And further to that, these firms are asking for more t-shirts because it had their stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the insight was is that architects want to do great work and they want it to be beautiful and they want to do a great job. Now, I appreciate there's a lot more to it than that, but yeah. that's the simple kind of insight. So if you're a, a, um, a firm and you want to attract someone to work for you, why? Why would someone work for your firm versus somebody else? And then the second thing is if you're out there and you're communicating whatever it is you're communicating, a job ad, well, let's face it, job ads are not the sexiest things in the world. But no, they're, and they're... they're often the same like you i've i don't read them regularly but every once in a while i'll go to job boards and look at them and it's always the same formula it's very formulaic it's always the same same crap like oh uh, you your responsibilities are this your role will be this your experience is that salary commands commensurate with experience there's no none of them are writing ads that stand out like that even even something remotely funny like i'm not saying be be a stand up comedian but write something that you know catches someone's attention no, why aren't copywriters writing ads that would be so so you know humor is obviously a great breakthrough device for sure mm-hmm. and you know and, and one of the things and i'll, I'll come back to to something in a second i'll pick up on what you're just saying or no people often say to me i love what that company did but then I can't, I can't do that myself. And I'm like, why can't you? Mm-hmm. When you show clients creative that's more breakthrough, often they're afraid of it. Because what would somebody think? Well, imagine somebody actually noticing you. That would actually be a good start. And so it's one of those things that, um, there's a saying that somebody said to me once, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> and so, you know, with that, you know, I love the creative somebody else is doing, but that's not for me. Really? So to your point, you know, where are the great copywriters doing this kind of stuff? And when you were talking about the job ad, you said, and this experience and the this and the that, you know what? Who cares? What's in it for the candidate? So employers are always thinking about me, 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 and me. They need to turn it 180 degrees and think about candidate, candidate, candidate. No longer are employers um, 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 buyers, they're sellers. They have to sell why someone should come to them. And what they have to do is get that employer value proposition clear, tight, and compelling, and then deliver it in a creative way. You know, we uh, recently won um, an international marketing award for a healthcare client that uh, we've been doing some work with and, and, and continue to do so right now. In fact, it's in field as we speak. And it's about attracting nurses. And I think I touched on it a couple of seconds ago. Um, we don't actually market the nursing job. It's a community nursing organization So what's inherent in the job is an ability to have split shifts and have work-life balance, flex time. So we're actually selling flexible days. Yeah, that's on your website, right? I saw that campaign, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that campaign doesn't say, here's how you be a nurse. What it actually says is, here's how you be a mother or a father or a, or a brother or whatever. Yeah. And because so, the same way you said architects know how to be architects, nurse, nurses know how to be nurses. They want to know what's in it for them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that architect, you know, that architect firm that wants to do whatever they want to do 
if they want to be different than somebody else, then they actually have to make first the decision to actually be different. They don't have to figure out what that is. I mean, obviously, you know, folks like our firm and, and, and others out there, you know, help people navigate that process. But the first thing they have to look at and say is, I got this problem. Whatever I'm doing right now is not solving my problem. And so, therefore, I'm willing to do something different than post and pray. I don't know what that looks like or what that feels like, but at least I'm going to give it a go. Because whatever's going on right now, I've got a talent gap that I can't fill. And then further to that, I may have a further talent gap you know, down the line because my workforce is going to continue to retire. And then what do I do? Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea why there, and maybe it exists, I haven't seen it, and, and I'm completely ignoring on the subject, but why isn't anyone out there offering firms to write job postings for them? Like a copywriter who knows how to sell something, like someone who, who can write sales copy that, that actually works. Because in a market like we have today, you could charge a few hundred bucks for <laughs> for a posting and uh, and probably uh, be very successful at it because no one else is doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, as much as a job posting is important, it's it's a very small item. It's an important item, but it's a it's a, it's a singular item as part of an overall strategy. So, if you look at the commercialization of something like that, you know, it's hard. I mean, to your point, someone could make money charging three or four hundred dollars, but you got to sell an awful lot of those to make any money, right? Mm-hmm. So, from a commercialization perspective, if you're looking at you know firms that have you know depth and breadth and capabilities, they're looking at being able to roll in and and look at it end to end because it really is an end to end scenario. So, you know, if you look at the job posting, the number of architects that are actually looking for jobs right now will likely be less than the number of architect jobs that are open. But all that said, that doesn't mean people aren't willing to move. So Mm -hmm. how do you get somebody to move from point A to point B? So if you've got a shortfall of talent, one of the things you got to convince somebody to do is to leave somewhere else. You're essentially poaching from another organization. So how do you do that? And if 73% of the job seekers are passive, they're not out looking on job boards for jobs at all. In fact, the bulk of people are not doing that. So how do you interrupt them in their day, wherever they may be doing whatever they're doing and, they're in, and you can get to them? Mm-hmm. And then with that, this isn't the job posting. This is a story. And so what's the story that your uh, organization needs to tell that is true? Because if it's not true, people are going to find a disconnect. And to your point earlier, they're going to leave and they're not going to like it. So that's not going to work. So you either fire them because they're not right, because you've made the wrong hire, or they're going to leave you because you, you misrepresented what you're about. Um and so how do you interrupt them in their journey and then get them to self-select and say, you know what, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, did, we did a campaign, this goes back, I don't know, maybe four years ago, I guess. It happened to be for a law firm and we're actually going to do something similar uh, for, uh, for another client in a different category. But this law firm was looking to um, um, get people of a certain um, experience within certain, um, uh, I guess, specialties. Mm-hmm. And you know, we carved out a very specific strategy that had, you know, geographic boundaries and a sort of a pitch around it the whole bit. And we actually reached out to people directly. And, you know, so it was a little bit headhuntery, but there were some nuanced differences from it. Very, very successful. So, but that was a decision that this law firm made that we were willing to, you know, put our neck out there and reach out and target the talent that we want highly specifically to fit the needs that we need as, as an organization to do what, to do what we've got to do mm-hmm. and not one job post involved at all. So, um, so I think there's lots of different ways to do things. Um, but what's right for one company may not be right for another. Yeah. And, and so one thing that I wanted to touch on, and I've seen it for as long as I've had a career, which is about 12 years. Um, 
people often leave a job for quote unquote greener pastures generally for better pay. Um, but especially during COVID, we've seen um, some of that backfire, uh, what some people have called a great resignation and realizing that better pay is not necessarily uh, all things, everything else being equal, not necessarily better, um, leading to what you call the great regret. What can companies do to address that and what are the issues or challenges associated with that, uh, that phenomenon? Well, I think one of the things that happens is that uh, um, companies, and I'm, and I'm not, I think it's changing a lot in fairness, but they become complacent. So they realize that um, they have to realize that they're the, the value of their business. So, you know, you look at certain, certain types of jobs. So you look at um, um, floor workers in, in manufacturing plants mm-hmm. and let's say they're, they're, they're labor that doesn't require significant technical training. So you're talking about lower cost labor. When you're an industrial complex and you've got, you know, 50 companies in that area, they're all more or less the same. You can move from building to building mm-hmm. and you can just do the circuit and you can go for your, you know, $2,000 extension bonus or $5,000 signing bonus, whatever it is, and do the, do laps. And so sometimes people are doing that. So how do you be preemptive? Well, you be preemptive by being preemptive. So what's the strategy that you need to put in place in order to be preemptive? How do you listen to your employees? How do you make sure they are valued? I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't mean lip service. I mean, really feel valued. Yeah. So everybody wants to feel valued and you're not going to keep everybody because some people, it's just not the right fit for, on both sides, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But being preemptive means, um, and, and I don't just mean, I don't just mean um, acting, but being seen to act in a genuine fashion. So if you're an employer who is um, genuine about what you're doing and you're being proactive and preemptive about it, you're not going to have that problem. You know, we, uh, we had a client um, that uh, another one actually got, got acquired some time ago, but they were the largest non-union electrical contractor in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And the union, you know, came all the time and said, you know, we'd like to try and get your you know, team to sign up for the union. And the employees of this organization never said yes. Mm-hmm. Why? Because their employer, privately held business, understood the game and understood that, you know, here's what I need to do to keep my employees happy and did any number of things to make that happen. Compensation was part of it, but it wasn't the only thing. And so um, what do you do? You do it before it actually happens. And you do it genuinely and honestly because you your employees are, you know, maybe not partnered by contract, but they're a partner in the success of your business. And in a market where talent is at a premium, especially great talents at a premium, you want to make sure that you know you're 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 keeping your people um, um, happy and most importantly fulfilled in what they're doing. Because if they're fulfilled in what they're doing, they're going to do more of it. Um, you look at situations like like architects where they invest a lot of time, money, and education to accomplish, you know, just the ability to 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 do this career. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. quite an achievement just to be able to to you know be able to stamp a drawing and to to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got mobility; they can go anywhere. And, you know, as we talked about earlier with 3000 some odd jobs in Toronto alone, I mean, someone could have a job in a week. So the employers that have them right now is what are they doing to show them the appreciation and love they need? And it goes beyond money. Sometimes money, you don't have it. I mean, it is what it is, but you can do lots of other things. And I think one of the things that happens is that, you know, employee surveys, as much as people go, oh, it's an employee survey. It's another one of those things again. Well, it's incredible what they'll tell you. Um, and what it is that you may, you know, what, what you might learn. I guess if you ask the right questions, yeah. Yeah, but you got to be prepared to act on it too. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. What he says, yeah. but I don't care. Well, then fine. Then you, you know, you reap what you sow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you, you've touched on that briefly, but for employers, is it ever a good idea to try and attract your competitors' employees? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, and you know, ever is a big statement. So ever, sure. But is it right in every circumstance? Probably not. So it really depends on um, where your business is going and how committed you are to, you know, being assertive around a, a that particular strategy. In effect, anybody who posts the job ads that you're referring to is taking employees from someone else anyway. It's just not overt. Mm -hmm. So the difference is that if you're being overt about it, then that would be a different thing. So for example, this industrial area that we were referring to that has, you know, these 50 companies, hypothetical companies all in the same area. If you're to run geofence advertising and say, everybody come over to our company and leave where you're at, you know, it's going to show up on everybody's phone and everybody's app. Well, does that mean like war? Yeah, it does. So you have to be prepared for the consequences of that. But if you're prepared for the consequences of that, and you believe that's a strategy that you want to, uh, to employ to be successful, then, you know, have at it. But you got to really think it out because you know that the other company who is potentially leaving their employees, they're going to counter. And then, and then where, where do you go with that? So I think it's one of those things that recognizing the labor market has mobility in it anyway. It happens because it happens. It just doesn't happen overtly. Mm -hmm. so when you're doing it overtly, it's kind of a different thing. So, you know, one of the things that, that um, um, we've been doing is we've been running ads for our, our, our community nursing client um, on geofence. And so what happens is if you're in, working a night shift at Hospital X and something shows up because you're surfing around and you see something for community nursing that might interest you. But the thing about something like that is we've made a decision with our client that You know, if someone wants to take an interest in it, away they go. But we're not actively poaching, you know, employees from that particular organization because that's a line that, you know, is not where um, our client or that um, strategy is going to make sense. So what's good for one is not necessarily good for another. You just got to be aware of the consequences, both the good and the bad of doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there's another topic I want to touch on because I think it's going to become even more prevalent in the future. It's the use of AI as a recruitment tool. And from what I understand, I could be wrong, but a lot of plat job posting platforms are at least screening in the first rounds using AI. Uh, so if that's the case, and, and I don't know how much you know about that, but and they use that to separate the, the wheat from the chaff, how can employers and employees prepare for that change uh, in, in the way they post and respond to job postings. Yeah. So you are right that it's becoming um, more prevalent and it's becoming more advanced. So I think there, there's, there's two, there's two sides to it. There's the employee side and the employer side. Let's talk about the employee first. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that employees are now force fit into um, um, various systems, various ATS and the like that, Um, will basically reject their application if it doesn't meet a set of criteria or it's not formatted properly. Yeah. Can, you, can you define ATS? Yeah, it's a talent management type system. So it's like okay. CRM. Think about CRM for, um, um, for talent. Is really okay. yeah. So if you're going into a, a, an organization that's large and they have a high volume of applicants, the HR departments will have a tendency to use these kind of systems where they pre-screen. And so they're cumbersome for employees. Um, if you are an employee who doesn't take the time to do it properly, or perhaps the job 
um, is something that you know doesn't require you know strong language skills or strong computer skills, and you don't have strong language or computer skills, then all of a sudden you're going to run into all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. So the reason that they're there is because the human resources departments, particularly of large companies, it makes it easier for them to manage applicants. But the downside is that the abandonment rate is enormous. You're talking like 90% abandonment rate on some of these systems is brutal. So what they're doing is they're missing out on all kinds of potential candidates who say, this is a pain or I can't do it or I'm out. So, so if you are wanting to streamline the labor on the management of the applicants, it's got an advantage because obviously it makes it easier to parse various kinds of uh, kinds mm-hmm. of applicants. But the downside is what are you losing because that's in place. So there's arguments to be made on both sides. Obviously, the software providers who build these things, I mean, think they're great and wonderful because obviously that's their business to try and sell them. In fairness, there are huge advantages to them. Yeah. The advantage is that it's not perfect. And, you know, Canada's just like, I, why do I want to do this? Um, the other thing as well is that it's all about easy. So the systems that are being sold to employers, they're saying, I'm going to make it easy for you to employer to manage your, your, your candidate pool. All true. But it doesn't necessarily make it easy for the candidate. So as we're going back to what we were saying earlier, and um, we um, were um, saying that we want to have candidates be like customers, is that customer friendly? So how do you want to look at it? So you've got this sort of this this balance where the, the HR departments are saying, I need to make my life easier, but I need great talent. And then you've got candidates are saying, I'm not going to go through this process because this is a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about things like personality profiling and behavioral assessments, those other kinds of diagnostic tools, I mean, that gets beyond our realm of expertise because that goes you know, beyond marketing. But you know, those types of diagnostic tools are extraordinarily helpful in terms of me being able to make you know, decisions on the kind of candidate profile that you're looking for when you're actually going through the hiring process. So I think that you know, your broader question is, you know, is AI beneficial? And the answer is absolutely if it's done smartly. Um, uh, but I think that there are some downsides like there is with any, anything, um, in using something that, you know, you just have to recognize what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right on the money. The challenge is that it makes HR managers life easier, but if you're looking for talent and telling is talent is hard to come by to begin with, uh, how many great potential employees are you missing on? Because they just don't have either the patience or enough computer skills, like you said, to fill out your application or, or do a, or put together a resume that fits within those little boxes that have to be ticked. I think that's a huge issue. Is that, do you think uh, AI is going to be 100% managed uh, or hiring is going to be 100% managed by AI in the future? Or is that always, there's always going to be a human element? Wow, that's a tough question to answer. But I got to think that, you know, if you're hiring people, you need people to actually hire people at the end of the day. So 100%, I would say unlikely. But do I think that there's going to be more um, integration of technology into everything that we do, including hiring? Yeah, I just, I, of course, there's no question about it. Um, and if you also think about even where um, talent wants to go, you know, there's a survey I was looking at actually this morning where um, Gen Z, they are interested in arts and recreation as the number one choice uh, and technology, mm-hmm. the number two choice. So if you've got you know, more and more people getting into technology fields, um, they're going to be advancing technology at an even rap- more rapid pace than it is now. So I don't see how that could not touch HR just like it touches everything else. Yeah, good point. 
Um, I think that's all for the questions I had for you today. Is there anything else, uh, any last thoughts you'd like to share with the audience or maybe some tips uh, for them how to go about uh, finding and retaining the right talent? I think the biggest thing I can uh, say is if what you're doing is not working effectively enough, then you need to think about doing something else. And Arno, you said earlier, you know, how do you, how do you stick out of the crowd? Well, you know, you stick out of the crowd by actually doing something different than somebody else. And so you don't have to know what that different is. I mean, there's people, you know, uh, you know, like us and others that, you know, know how to do that. But the first decision is maybe to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if what's going on is working for, you know, the architect firms or whatever, then have at it. But if it's not, then look at a fresh approach, um, particularly if others are not. You know, you think about what we talked about at the beginning, about why is talent attraction important? It's competitive advantage. Because if you've got the talent to run your business and somebody else doesn't, your ability to do your business and your ability to win, you know, bigger and better projects and continue to do that, that's what it's about. That's why Mm -hmm. businesses run. And if talent is the sort of the good talent is the barometer of what's going to make one business more successful than another, then that's a strategic imperative. And I would say to the firm's principles, and what are you doing about it? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I think that the thing, number one thing I retained for this conversation today is that hiring is not something that happens at one point in time. It's a continuum and you constantly have to be on the lookout, even if you're not actively hiring. Because when you are looking for staff, if you have an Instagram that is engaging and you're doing all kinds of other things that people pay attention to, when you are hiring, they'll say, oh, that firm is interesting. I've heard about them here and I've heard about them there and they were at this conference and whatever. And sure. I think this is, this is really uh, the way to look at it. It's, it's like marketing. <laughs> How many times I have clients who think that they can do a push for three, six months and then turn off the tab and be done with it and think that it's going to work for the next 10 years versus understanding that marketing is an ongoing thing. You constantly have to put yourself out there. That's, that's what I retained from this. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Cool. Well, I want to thank you very much for uh, your time and uh, generous insights. And uh, hopefully this is the first of many conversations. Fantastic. Arnaud, thanks so much. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.